Good morning, gang. How's everybody? If you brought your Bible, I want you to open it to the very beginning. Ought to be easy to find. It's page four in my Bible. It's Genesis chapter two. That's where we're going to be in just a few minutes. Uh, Behind Family Lines is a series about relationships and marriage. The Bible is a wealth, has a wealth of information. It is a fantastic resource for incredible amounts of rich and powerful information for anybody who's looking to build a lasting relationship. During this series, we've covered a lot of different topics. In week one, we discussed outrage for the American family. Family is suffering in America, and it's time for you and me to be willing to speak out about it, to be willing to become vocal in our community, vocal in our neighborhoods. For too long, we've remained silent For the past five and six decades, over my lifetime, family has suffered dramatically. And fathers especially, if you're not willing to lead your family, if you're not willing to guide your children, dads, the culture, the toxic culture in which they live certainly is. In other words, fathers, if you don't take control of leading and guiding, nurturing, caring for, protecting your family, the toxic culture in which they exist certainly will Week two, we dealt with the subject of contentment, contentment and the single life. According to this book, if you are single, your goal is contentment, not marriage. If you are single, the goal is contentment. Paul said, be content wherever you are. If you're single, it's not that you're looking for the right person. You should be looking to become the right person, and there's a vast difference between those two ideas, and God is with you. Last time, we addressed the subject of sex. Sex and the single life. If the church, if godly parents don't engage their young people in the subject of sex, where else are they going to learn? We address that the subject of sex and sexuality is always condemned outside of marriage in the Word of God. Now, as antiquated, as religious, as old-fashioned as that sounds, last time we realized and we understood that there are good reasons For this. Today we're going to talk about oneness. Oneness is the goal in marriage. Marriage is all about oneness. God has a purpose for his design. Now, in my opinion, marriage humor is the best humor. My favorite shows of all times are some of the old sitcoms that deal with marriage. Marriage makes us laugh, but unfortunately, marriage is no laughing matter in America. Four years ago, 2019, A group of researchers from Rutgers University, Dr. David Popino and Dr. Barbara Defoe Whitehead, released a report on marriage that was entitled, The State of Our Unions, The Social Health of Marriage in America. Here's how they summarized their findings. This has been the largest compilation of research we've ever done on the subject of marriage, and here is what they found. Key social indicators suggest a substantial weakening in the institution of marriage. Does that surprise anyone? All you have to do is look around. They continue. Americans have become less likely to marry. When they do marry, their marriages are less happy. Over the past four decades, unmarried cohabitation and unwed births have grown enormously. And so has the percentage of children who grow up in fragile families. What are fragile families? Fragile families are families on the verge of destruction. Fragile families are families that are built on an improper foundation. 
a foundation that cannot withstand the storms of life, the sway of popular culture. Let me ask you a question as we begin. What is the goal in marriage? Why do people get married in the first place? Maybe if we understood what we're shooting for going in, maybe if going in we knew where we were going with our marriage, maybe we would be less likely to build something that cannot last, fragile families that dissolve over time. Maybe if we knew what we were aiming at, we'd be more likely to achieve the goal and remain more satisfied in our marriages. Here's the problem as I see it. The problem is that marriage is not about fulfillment. Now, you talk to single people, and they'll tell you that's what marriage is all about. It's about fulfillment. I want to be married so I can be fulfilled. Marriage is not about fulfillment according to the Word of God. Now, I get why we feel that way, because that's how it feels in the beginning. When we fall in love with someone, and we enjoy that in-love obsession phase for a certain period of time, you make me happy, and I make you happy, Let's just get married, let's make this official, and we'll make each other happy for the rest of our lives. That's how it feels in the beginning. But that becomes the responsibility then of each spouse. It becomes my responsibility. No one's ever talked about it. We've never signed a contract. But it becomes your responsibility to make me happy, and it's my responsibility to make you happy. And if anything changes, well, then we begin to question our relationship. I mean, let's just think about, let's be honest about how we do marriage in our culture. We are single, and we're unsatisfied, we're unfulfilled, so we begin to date. And dating is fantastic for a time, but it's not quite as fulfilling as we'd like. So then we decide to date exclusively, and for a time, dating that one special person is so rewarding. It is so gratifying. It is so fulfilling, but not for long. So then we decide, let's engage in sexual intercourse. Let's take the relationship to the next level. And for a short period of time, it is very satisfying. It's very rewarding, but then it's not as fulfilling as we'd hoped it'd be. So then we decide, let's move in. Let's make something a little more permanent. And for a short time, it feels so great to be loved by someone else, to love someone else, to be together in a committed relationship, living in the same house as husband and wife, but after a time, it's not as fulfilling as we'd hoped. So what do we do? We decide to take it to the final level, and that's marriage. And we enter marriage seeking the same fulfillment we were seeking when we were single. That is our problem. There is a stark contrast, church between marriage as popular culture views it and marriage as the Bible describes it. Let me just point out two quick things. To culture, marriage is fulfilling when we find the right person. To culture, marriage is rewarding. It's rich. It's fulfilling so long as we find the right person. Everything is based on chemistry to popular culture. That's why if we match all the key indicators and there is chemistry, we can expect to ride that wave of fulfillment for the rest of our lives. Now, let me tell you why we love that so much. Because chemistry demands nothing from me. Personally, I have no responsibility. I just get to be. 
I can be me, and you can be you. And if the chemistry is right, we'll ride this wave of fulfillment and satisfaction for a lifetime. If things go bad, it's just because we didn't actually find the right person. We didn't have the chemistry we thought we had. So we go off in another search, again, in the wrong direction, typically carrying the same old baggage out of one relationship into the next. Do you realize that is exactly opposite from the Word of God? Culture says find the right person. The Word of God says become the right person. Matthew 6, verse 33. Jesus said, seek first, first and foremost, Seek God and his kingdom. And then all these other things that you tend to worry about, they'll be added as well. Number two, culture demands that premarital sex relationships are fulfilling. The happiest people, the most sexually active people in culture are not married people. Married relationships are dull and unrewarding. Popular culture promotes single sexuality and sexual relationships as the most fulfilling there is. Reality tells a different tale. The the statistics, the mountains of empirical data that we now have from nearly 10 decades of studying marriage and family says something dramatically different. As I said last time, sex creates counterfeit intimacy. We believe we're closer than we really are simply because we've seen one another naked. We believe we're more in love than we actually are just because we've been together sexually. We begin that we believe we're more suited for each other than we actually are. So the next step is to take it to the next level. Let's get married. That's where we'll find our fulfillment. Wrong. Wrong. Now look, the message today is to address the sanctity of marriage, God's definition and purpose for marriage. The objective is in no way intended to be critical of those who don't have a perfect perfect marital, marital relationship. None of us have achieved that. Today, I'm simply promoting the ideal, and we're asking ourselves the question whether or not the ideal is worth pursuing. There are a lot of people in this auditorium who have experienced the pain of a broken marriage, possibly for reasons that were beyond your control. The message today is not intended to add to that pain. And so many of you single moms and single dads, you're doing a heroic job of single parenting. You should be applauded for your efforts. The objective today is simply to instruct you about God's purpose, his design for marriage, the purpose and the design behind it all, why we should strive to uphold that ideal as old-fashioned, as outdated as it may seem to popular culture, it is worth pursuing. So, number one, what is happening to marriage in our culture? What's going on? All you have to do is look around. All you have to do is be alive on planet Earth. Look around and observe. Marriage is suffering in our culture. One more quotation from the Rutgers study. It gets to the heart of the problem. They write, as an institution, marriage has lost much of its legal, religious, and social meaning and authority. They continue, marriage has dwindled down to a couple's relationship, mainly designed for the sexual and emotional gratification of each adult. What is marriage in America today? Well, it's just an official name for a couple's relationship. And that relationship is primarily built on the individual's personal search for gratification. 
The reason we couple up is to find fulfillment. If the idea of marriage means little more than relationship, then why get married? And that's the path that many have chosen. If coupling up is simply the goal, then why protect the idea, the institution of marriage? Hear me. Because marriage is not an end in itself. Marriage is a means to a much greater end by God's design. The end reflects God's original purpose, his original plan. And in God's plan and purpose comes the fulfillment. The statement I read a moment ago reveals two problems. Number one, personal gratification has now become the goal. We get married to become gratified sexually and emotionally. The primary goal in relationships in marriage has become personal gratification. Culture believes that marriage is a reward. It's the end of the rainbow, and it's all built on chemistry. If the relationship that you're currently in no longer meets those personal needs, if you're no longer satisfied emotionally or sexually, well then pack up, back out, and move on. That's because, number two, we've adopted a take-it-or-leave-it mentality when it comes to marriage. We can take it or leave it. To many in our culture, marriage is superfluous. It's overkill. It's farther than you really need to go. Marriage is no longer viewed as sacred. It's not even special anymore. If marriage is merely another way for people to couple up, if it's a way of simply being sexually and emotionally gratified, if it has no more moral or social significance than two people who live together, then why get married in the first place? That's what's happening to marriage in our culture. So, number two, why protect it? Why marriage? Why hold on to a biblical definition Concerning the institution of marriage. That is the question of today. Why is it important for a man and a woman to contract with one another? Before God, we call this a covenant relationship. Why does it matter? For the answer, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, when God created all that we know. Look at Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse... 18. The Bible says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is the sixth day of creation. Five days, God's creative genius has exploded the universe. On the sixth day, God creates man alone. Not alone in isolation, alone in incompleteness. The word helper there could be translated completer. On the sixth day, God looked over all he had created and said, it's not good that man remains alone. I will make a helper to complete him. Man is better with woman, and woman completes man. Keep reading. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable, completer helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man. 
He brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, demonstrating the equality between man and woman. We are equal yet distinct. God created all that exists, and Adam found himself alone. No suitable completer was found. He wasn't isolated in his aloneness. He was surrounded by the rest of God's creation, but he was incomplete in his aloneness, so God created woman. The man then says, she's just like me. She completes me. Keep reading. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united, bonded to his wife, and they become one flesh. There it is. God's goal for marriage. It's not fulfillment. It's oneness. That is why, since woman completes man and man completes woman, that is why we leave our families and we are bonded together in matrimony so that I can complete her and she can complete me. One flesh. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and yet they felt no shame. Look, here's the point. God's purpose in marriage is for male-female completion. From God's perspective, everything about his creation was good, fantastic except for man's aloneness. Day one, God looked over all he had created. It was good. Day two, it was good. Days three, four, and five, it was good. Day six, man is alone. That's not good. I'll make woman to complete man. Now, in our culture, there's a wave of information, a wave of argument that you're fine just the way you are. And hear me, you are. Remember, if you're single, you're fine just the way you are. You should find contentment. The Bible reveals this. But when we're talking about marriage, when we're talking about the institution of marriage, marriage exists so that a husband can complete a wife and a wife can complete a husband. God's purpose for marriage is for male-female completion. And by completion, I mean everything from biological completion to complex psychological and spiritual completion. Here's something else to consider. Marriage between a man and a woman is fundamental to society. It is the foundational building block to society. In this passage we read a moment ago, we discover that a husband and wife and their marriage is the very first institution God created. It is the primary institution of society. Everything beyond that will be built upon the strength and the oneness of a husband and a wife. God designed marriage between a man and a woman to be the very first system of interdependent human relationships. God did not create marriage so that a husband and wife can solve the world's problems. He did not create marriage so that a husband and wife can guard the environment. He did not create marriage for any other reason other than oneness. It is the first and primary building block of all human relationships. And finally, marriage between a man and a woman is the foundation for family. Later, he'll tell them, be fruitful. Now that you are one, 
Be fruitful. Now that you've laid an appropriate foundation, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. God designed the husband and wife relationship as the primary relationship for family. So, here's the big deal. I'm sure you get it by now. Oneness is the primary purpose in marriage, not fulfillment. Oneness. What are you striving toward, husband and wife? You're striving toward oneness. What are you working at? You're working at oneness. God's design for marriage is for a man and a woman in all of their masculine and feminine differences to come together and become one. Not just one flesh as in intercourse. Sexual intercourse is a reflection, it is an illustration of the greater oneness that God is building in and through marriage. Exclusive oneness. Intimate oneness. That's why marriage matters. And here's number three. What is God's purpose in two becoming one? Why is this such a big deal? We read a moment ago in verse 25 of chapter 2. Adam and his wife were both naked, and yet they felt no shame. The Hebrew word literally means they were intimate. They were close. They were bonded together as one. God's original design was for a man and a woman to marry, to commit to one another, and thereby experience intimacy, closeness, completion. The question is why. Why does that matter so much? Well, to get the answer to that, you have to turn back one page. Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man, us. Note the plural pronoun. It's a reference to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three in one God, the triune God. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. No other part of creation was made in the image and likeness of God. Only male and female, together as one, reflect the image and likeness of God. So that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So male and female, husband and wife in marriage, is a reflection of God's oneness. My oneness with my wife before God, creating a trinity, God, husband, and wife, is a reflection of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God's purpose in two becoming one. I've listed four. Number one, two become one to mirror God's image. That's the nature of the trinity, which is relationship. Please don't ask me to explain it to your liking because it is very difficult to comprehend. Somehow ours is a God of three and yet one. The triune God. All are coexistent. They're co-equal. They're co-eternal. They exist in perfect harmony with one another. While they are distinct and separate, they each play an individual role in God's divine plan for the universe. They exist in perfect harmony as one. My marriage is supposed to be a reflection of that oneness, of that relationship. Here's number two. Two become one to mutually complete one another. To mutually complete one another means to create something together that did not exist apart. You see, this presupposes that men and women are, not, are, are, are essentially different. 
This presupposes the idea that men and women are not the same. It's become fashionable over the last six decades in our pursuit of equality to promote sameness between the sexes. But mountains of evidence and common sense reveal otherwise. Men and women are equal, but they are not the same. In our oneness, the oneness of marriage, we both have unique, distinct, different by design, responsibilities, priorities, takes on love, family, and marriage that when you put them together, become greater than the sum of the parts. You see, that's the point. The whole of marriage is supposed to be greater than the sum of the parts. Mike and Amy for 30 plus years together is greater than Mike by himself plus Amy by herself. This is God's plan. It is his design. Oneness in marriage is the only thing that can accomplish this miracle. I am a better man because of the 30 plus years I've spent in oneness with my wife. She would say she's a better woman for the 30 plus years she spent in oneness with her husband. This is the goal, not personal fulfillment, but completing one another. Here's something else. Two become one to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. This is Ephesians 5. Two become one to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. Jesus said, I love the church. I will sacrifice for the church as the groom, the church being the bride. And then the bride responds in respect and honor and submission to the leadership of Christ. In the home, a husband sacrifices, loves, serves his wife. A wife responds in honor and submission to a husband's leadership. And then number four, two become one to serve as the foundation for a healthy family. Two become one in order to build the foundation for bringing children into the world. Marriage provides the context for having and rearing children. Hear me, it's not politically correct to say this, but neither men nor women are made emotionally, spiritually, or physically to raise children by themselves. Many are doing it, and they're doing a courageous job, but we would have to agree it's not ideal. In fact, the evidence that children do better in homes with two married biological parents is so overwhelming that one of the professors in the Rutgers study stated, in three decades of work as a social scientist, I know a few other bodies of data in which the weight of the evidence is so decisively on one side of the issue. He continues, on the whole, for children, two-parent families are preferable. If our prevailing views on family structure hinged solely on scholarly evidence, the current debate would never have arisen in the first place. Do you know what that means? That means that now the research backs up the fact that God and his plan for family is best. It's a plan that begins with oneness in marriage. Look, as long as we keep holding marriage hostage in pursuit of personal fulfillment, God's sacred institution will continue to suffer. 
As long as I continually look to my wife to make me happy, she continually looks to me to make her happy, God's institution will continue to suffer. So let me end with three questions. If you're married or in a serious relationship, question number one is in what way or ways do you hold your spouse responsible for your own happiness? In what way or ways do you hold your spouse responsible for your own happiness? Holding my wife responsible for my happiness is not only unwise, it is unfair. God didn't bring us together to make one another happy. That may be a byproduct of our union, but it should never be the goal. Here's question number two. In what way or ways do we complement each other, making us stronger as a couple? You ever notice how often opposites attract? In most relationships, one person is a saver and the other person is a spender. In most relationships, one person is kind of talkative and outgoing. Another person might be a little more quiet and reserved. In most relationships, one person is one way and the other person is the other. We gravitate to people we intuitively know are going to complete us. We are better together than we could have been by ourselves. When's the last time you had a conversation? about those differences and how those differences work to your benefit as a couple. And question number three, in what way or ways can we build intimacy and oneness? What are you doing right now to build oneness? If your marriage and your relationship is all about personal gratification and fulfillment, you're doing nothing. You are existing. You're riding that way for as long as it lasts. But couples who take intentional steps, take giant strides toward intimacy and oneness. How about a couple's date night? How about one, two, three, four nights a month where you and your wife alone can develop intimacy, oneness? Husbands, you go with her and you do it, not because you like it, but because you're pursuing oneness. Wives, you engage with him. You put up with it. You do it. Not because you love it, but because you, you're building oneness with him. You know those couples that you most admire? I've admired my parents. 65 years they were married before my mother died. Those couples that are married 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 years. And you stand back and you just admire what they have. You watch these movies with your wife. How many men have sat through the notebook the Hallmark movies about couples who build a life together, spend a lifetime together on Golden Pond. And in the end, when the days are drawing near and one spouse is about to lose another and tears well up in your eyes at the end of that movie, what has touched you? Their pursuit of fulfillment or their oneness? It's their oneness that moves us. So it's oneness we should be pursuing. Let's pray. Father, I look at all of these couples, so many married for so many years, so many married for just a few months, just getting started, others in relationships looking forward to the day when they contract before you in marriage and matrimony. And Father, I pray for them. Help us pursue the oneness that you have for us in marriage. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.